Welcome to High Cheese. It's Friday, December 1st, 2023. And I want to go right to this bombshell report that came out from John Solomon. And it has to do with a bank examiner's email to his supervisors raising red flags over this $5 million transaction that passed through several LLCs and some of the money wound up into the hands of Joe Biden. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a little bit from the article as well as the actual email. And then I'm going to give you my interpretation of what went on behind the scenes. So let's go to the article here. And it's by John Solomon, Just the News. And it says here, a money laundering investigator for a bank raised serious concerns about a $5 million loan in 2017 that the Bynum family received from the arm of a Chinese energy firm flagging the transaction as high risk and possibly tied to efforts by the communist government to gain influence through Hunter Biden, according to an explosive new memo released by congressional investigators. The unnamed investigator specifically raised concerns that the loan had no paperwork, that a Biden family firm distributed large sums of the money to a Hunter Biden law firm, and that that recipient firm inside the Biden family did not appear to have any investments in need of a loan. The memo released by the House Oversight Committee, James Comer. Comer noted Wednesday that the complex $5 million trail of transactions also resulted in a $40,000 check landing into Joe Biden's account. So we covered this in previous episodes, that $5 million was wired from China to a company that was co-owned by Hunter Biden. And then some of that money went to another LLC owned by Hunter Biden. Then some of that money was given to James Biden, Joe Biden's brother. And James Biden's wife took $50,000 in cash out of that account, put it into another account, and then cut a check to Joe Biden. Just like the mafia does it. Just like launderers do it. So let's go back to the article. The memo shows that the bank investigator identified Hunter Biden as a politically exposed person, which is a widely used term in financial industry money laundering reviews to classify a person who is either entrusted with a prominent public function or a family member of one. And I want to read a little bit from the actual email that he sent his supervisor. Now, the examiner's name has been redacted. And here's a key part of this email says, more recent negative news indicate China targeting children of politicians and purchase of political influence through sweetheart deals. Specifically, Hunter Biden's $1.5 billion deal with the Chinese state to establish a private equity firm in which they manage the funds over time and make huge fees. The management company's purpose is to invest in companies that benefit Chinese government. Thus, the activity on the account appears unusual with no current business purpose and along with the recent negative news may require a re-evaluation of Redacted's relationship with the customer. For your comment, he asked his supervisor. He's flagged not only the $5 million that Hunter Biden received, he also flagged this $1.5 billion deal that Hunter made with the Chinese government. And he puts this in context that, hey, this is what China does. China gives sweetheart deals to family members 
of politicians in order to gain influence. And this is what is damning. And this is part of the corruption. And Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, they went along with it. Now, according to Solomon's article, this $5 million was a loan. Apparently, they discussed it with Hunter, and he said it was a loan. Now, isn't it ironic that the $40,000 that Joe received from his brother referenced loan repayment on the check? And this is what happens when launderers get caught. Hunter provided no services. He can't justify that he actually worked for the $5 million. So he said it was a loan. Well, where's the documentation? Where's the documentation on Joe's $40,000 loan repayment that he received from his brother? And right now, behind the scenes, I am sure that they're trying to create some kind of loan document, backdate it, or put no date on it. Say, oh, I got something. Here it is. But this is how they work. This is how corrupt people work, along with their attorneys. Now, one thing I'm curious about is what happened to this bank examiner? And there's a number of things that could have happened. One is that he could have got called to the carpet by a supervisor and said, hey, just bury this thing. Nothing to see here. Because here's what you have to understand about the huge bureaucracy in Washington, the deep state. They've created so many conflicting rules and regulations that a bureaucrat has to abide by that if they want to get you, they will get you. They'll find something. And that's how they keep their good intention bureaucrats in check. You don't do what we do, we'll find something in the regulations to get you. Now, the other thing that could have happened is that his supervisor could have buried it. Because as you go up the food chain in these bureaucracies, particularly in Washington, the the higher you get, the closer they are to the deep state, the closer that they are to want to curry favors with the powers that be. And that's why Washington is so dangerous today. And with that said, I want to go to a clip. And it's with Victor Davis Hanson, a great conservative thinker. And he's explaining what the deep state does, what the Washington power does to those people that it is against. And he likens it to how the Soviet Union ran its bureaucracy, ran its power. So let's go to this clip and then we'll come back and discuss. You can do all of that as long as you're on our side. But if you don't do that and you want to go on the other side, then you're going to be in big trouble. And that's that's the message that they're trying to say. That's what we're really getting down to. Join the winning side. It's sort of like in the Soviet Union. If you're part of the nomenclatura and you join the party, you're exempt. If you're not, well, you're on your own. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important for Donald Trump to get reelected in 2024, because he's going to dismantle the bureaucratic state in Washington, the deep state. And that's why the left is calling Trump a threat to democracy. They're trying to make you believe that this corrupt system in Washington represents democracy, protects democracy. And we all know that that's not the truth. We all know it's just a story coming out of Washington because they need to protect themselves, whether it's bureaucrats, whether it's lobbyists, whether it's the defense contractors, lawyers. Donald Trump is a threat to them. And you're going to hear this on the campaign trail. Wow, civil service. We have to protect the civil servants in Washington because the whole idea of civil service is to protect these workers from political influence. Well, you ruin the bureaucracy when a significant amount of your bureaucrats, your civil servants, are left-wing ideologues. 
And that's what Donald Trump is trying to disrupt, to stop. So we shall see. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Ireland. Now, the Irish have been fighting for hundreds of years trying to get their independence from England. And I think it was 1949 where they formally became a republic. And the current Irish political class, power structure, has sold itself out to the globalists. In one year, Ireland has let in approximately 150,000 migrants into a country that's maybe a little over 5 million people. And to put that into perspective, it was done here. We're looking at approximately 10 million people coming into the United States in one year. Now, it took the Biden administration three years to do this, but in Ireland, it all cascaded on them in one year without the consent of the Irish citizen. And a lot of these migrants are from all over the world. There's been a lot of Ukrainians that have entered Ireland. And there's reports about these small towns, the people in these small towns in Ireland waking up and there's hundreds of Ukrainians that have just moved in. And they're like, well, where the heck did this come from? Where is this? I didn't have a say in this. They're overwhelming the local systems financially. They haven't been vetted. And again, this is not about where they come from. This is about whether the ruling class gets the consent of the people. And they have not done that. Now, this all came to a head recently when apparently an Algerian immigrant stabbed three kids and one woman outside of a school in Dublin. And I guess they had enough. And they, there was a riot. About 500 people rioted. They had enough. There's reports that towns are now blockading their towns to prevent migrants from coming in without the consent of the local community. But here's the response from the ruling class in Ireland. And I want to go to a uh, clip. It's with uh, the prime minister of Ireland. His name is Leo Varadkar. So let's go to this clip and then we'll come back and discuss. The terrible events that, that, that occurred on Parnell Square... Uh, on Thursday, you know, I, I really would ask people to, to try and avoid um, connecting uh, crime with migration. Um, it's not right. Um, yes, of course, um, people who are migrants uh, might commit crimes, uh, just as people who aren't commit crimes. Uh, in a country of 5.3 million people, if you have hundreds of thousands of migrants, there are going to be a few of them uh, who commit terrible crimes just as there are people born and bred in Ireland who commit terrible crimes every day, uh, including murders. The prime minister is missing the whole point. You increase crime when you increase the number of people that come into your country. And he's trying to equate, oh, the regular Irish citizen, they commit the same amount of crimes as migrants. Yes, but you would not have that crime that was created by the migrants if they weren't here, particularly when you threw these people onto the Irish citizen. I'll just look the other way. And you know what really gets me? These crimes, they don't affect the ruling class there. They affect the people. Oh, it's your fault for thinking that uh, migrants increase crime. No, any people, any increase in population, you're going to have more crime. And it's up to the Irish citizen to determine how they want to handle that. That's why it's so important to have an orderly immigration process where you can vet people, where you can plan where they go where you get the approval of the citizens, but this prime minister is missing the entire point. And I think it just stems from his arrogance. 
and the way he looks down on the Irish people. And speaking of the Irish ruling class, I want to read you a comment from a city councillor in Limerick. His name is Abdul Kalam Azad Talukter, a councilman in the city of Limerick. And here's what he said, reportedly. Not even an animal does these kind of things. And he's talking about the rioters. It is very shameful, and they should get public punishment. I'd like to see them shot in the head or bring the public in and beat them until they die. That's the way the ruling class looks at the Irish people. Hundreds of thousands of more people in your country? Oh, don't, don't worry. If there's crime, I don't have to deal with it. You do. And don't bring it up. And we've got the MMA fighter, Conor McGregor, decided to speak up. So let me just read the comment. The absolute picture of weak and feeble. The most divisive of all is the weak man. One of the most horrific crimes this nation has ever seen has occurred. We do not care anymore what you sad cases have got to say. In a war, you are nothing. We are not backing down. We are only warming up. There will be no backing down until real change is implemented for the safety of our nation. We are not losing any more of our women and children to sick and twisted people who should not even be here in the first place. Call it what you want. We do not care. May God help us all. Ireland for victory. And you know what they're doing to Colin McGregor? They're investigating him for hate speech. No repercussions for that counselor from Limerick, Abdul Kalam Azad Talukdar, but they're going to come down hard on Conor McGregor. And these are the problems that are created when you do not get the consent of the people, when you thrust on them such a massive amount of migrants into your country. And again, I'm not against immigration here. I think it's healthy for an economy. It's healthy for a country. But it's got to be done in an orderly fashion. And that's not what's going on in Ireland. And that's not what's going on here. And let me just give you what the financial cost is to this country for illegal immigration under the Biden administration. The House Committee on Homeland Security came out with a report that said that illegal immigration is costing the United States $450 billion annually. This is to house, feed, health care, schooling, everything else associated with keeping illegal immigrants here. So just to put this in perspective, that's, that's what the cost is. There's a human cost, there's a financial cost, there's a cultural cost, and it shouldn't be dictated by Washington without the consent of the American people. Well, it appears that Biden's dropping Bidenomics as a success story for his administration just didn't work. He had a growing economy to date, but with high inflation, high housing, high cost of cars, high cost of food, just doesn't work for him. And he sees what's coming down the road. And he knows that running next year on the economy is not going to help him, whether it's Bidenomics or whether it's the coming recession. We've got the head of J.P. Morgan, Jamie Dimon, telling people prepare for a recession. We've got GDP Now, which is uh, the Atlanta Fed. They do an ongoing estimate of what the quarter's GDP is going to be. And right now they're estimating the fourth quarter of 2023 to have economic growth of only 1.2%. And just to let you know, GDP now usually has a tendency to estimate on the high side. So there's a chance that the fourth quarter of 2023 will have negative growth. Now, we also have a problem in the treasury. You know, Because we've been accumulating so much debt and we're accumulating such a high deficit every year, we are now having problems selling our bonds. It was a real problem trying to sell treasuries. 
And this is because people are two things. People are losing confidence in the United States. And there's a lot of international buyers of U.S. treasuries. And there's the unknown. You know, Wall Street just doesn't know where they're going to be out seven years from now, what treasuries are going to look like. And they don't want to take that risk. So what they're doing, instead of buying longer-term treasuries, they're just buying shorter-term treasuries where they're getting a better interest rate. They don't want to take the risk of going out long on the United States economy right now. So what this means, it's going to put pressure on interest rates, on longer-term interest rates, which, again, isn't very good for the economy. And again, you know, you've got, you got the talking heads out there still trying to pump things up, still trying to create a story, whether it's CNBC, whether it's Bloomberg. I was watching Bloomberg the other day, and they had online sales that came out. There was a report that online sales were up 7 7.5% year over year. And all you saw is retail sales up. This is great. They're touting it. I think the market went up that day. But what they failed to tell you is that online sales are not the majority of sales that take place during the holiday season. A majority of sales take place in stores, and we don't know what's going to happen. And there is some indication is that in-store sales are not going to be as good as expected. And here's one thing I wanted to talk about. I, I, I never. This is a psychological issue that I guess some American people have. And let me just read the article here. It's from, it's from uh, CNBC. And the headline says, Americans are doom spending. Here's why that's a problem. It says, consumer spending remain remarkably resilient in the face of some stiff economic headwinds. Nearly all Americans, 96%, are concerned about the current state of the economy. Still, more than a quarter of them are doom spending. We're spending money despite economic and geopolitical concerns, found in a report by Credit Karma. Even as inflation and high interest rates have squeezed budgets, a record 200 million shoppers turned out between Black Friday and Cyber Monday, according to National Retail Federation. We're seeing people mindlessly shop to soothe concerns about the economy and foreign affairs, which could take a toll on their financial well-being, said Courtney Alev, Credit Karma's consumer financial advocate. So apparently they feel bad, so they go out and they spend money. They're all stressed out, so they spend money. They put it on their credit card. They got this new thing. It's called Buy Now, Pay Later, which is another form of going into get debt. I guess they're maxing out their credit card, so they're doom spending with Buy Now, Pay Later. And a lot of this are coming from Gen Zers. It says here, 73% of Gen Zers say they would rather live in the moment rather than plan for the future. Younger adults feel discouraged, said Ted Rossman, a senior industry analyst at Bankrate. And, and let me tell you, this is not going to put them in a good position next year. You know, we've already gone over some polls that said that Trump is doing well with younger people because they're losing faith in the American dream. And here's a good example. But they're only digging the hole deeper for themselves. How are they going to buy a house next year when prices come down? When they've maxed out their credit card, they have no credit rating. They don't have enough for a down payment. So this is not going to help the economy next year. Because apparently we're going to have a significant portion of consumers that are just choked. Self-inflicted choking. I just find it odd. But is it economic nihilism? Is this what we're promoting in our young people? Economic nihilism? And this is the problem that these far-left people have created for our younger generation. Remember, Klaus Schwab, you will own nothing and like it. And maybe that's sinking in with the younger population. But again, this does not bode well for Joe Biden next year. That's why he's kind of tamping down Bidenomics. Because it wasn't a success this year. 
and it's not going to be a success during the campaign season. And so they're back to touting Trump as a threat to democracy. And it was funny. I'm not a Scott Walker fan, but he, he was on NBC, one of the shows, and he was at a round table. And they were talking to some of the liberals, and one of the liberals at, at the table said, well, Donald Trump is a threat to democracy, blah, 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 blah. And Scott Walker t- turns around and says, well, wait a sec, maybe to you people in Washington, but not to the rest of America. But this is what these people think. They think they continue with a story. If they say a story long enough, it's going to stick, but not anymore. American people are on to Washington, the media, the globalists. So we shall see. You know, I listen to various conservative radio, various conservative TV shows, but on conservative radio, occasionally you have liberals that call in and they want to talk about MAGA, Make America Great Again. And they always raise this question, well, when was America great? Because the implication is that America had slavery, America had Jim Crow laws, America didn't do the Indians well, and they want to highlight the bad things about America, Western culture. And, you know, know, the the response would be this big diatribe about America did these great things, which which it did. It's a great country. But to me, if there's any radio talk show host listening... Next time somebody calls and asks, well, when was America great? Just tell them, let's make America pre-pandemic. They can relate to that. We all can relate to that. We want America great. We know America is great. We want America to back to what it was. But let's just start with make America pre-pandemic. That's all you have to tell them. It'll shut them right up. They won't know how to respond because they know tangibly Pre-pandemic, peace, great economy, low unemployment, low unemployment for African Americans, low unemployment for women, low unemployment for Hispanics. They can relate to that, and it's tangible to them. It's in the near past. So just a recommendation, if there's any radio talk show host listening, just tell them, make America pre-pandemic again. So we shall see. So this just in, George Santos was kicked out of Congress. They voted today to kick him out because he got indicted on misusing campaign funds. So my question is, why is Bob Menendez still in the Senate? You see the hypocrisy of these institutions? They don't like Santos, and he doesn't have a lot of power, so they're going to toss him out. But over in the Senate, where you have a powerful senator, he gets indicted, kickbacks, assisting foreign countries, But nothing happens to him. It it just doesn't make sense why any Republican would have voted to get rid of Santos. Just doesn't make sense. I forgot the one congressman. I think it was from Louisiana. He's up there. Well, let let the people of New York make that choice. Congressmen only run every two years. So if the people want Santos out, let them vote. It's not up to Congress. And I think there's only been six congressmen throughout history that ever been kicked out. And I, I don't know why the other ones were kicked out, but... But the prudent choice would have just let him stay. Let the people of New York in that district vote him out. From what I hear, it's just that a a lot of the New York Congress people wanted him gone. It's all a local issue. It's all a local political play. But that doesn't help people's perception of Congress. It's all an insider again. We don't like him. We want him out. He doesn't have a lot of power. Let's get him out. 
But all I can say is that should have been a choice of people from New York in that district. Go woke, go broke. And I just want to read an article here, and this one is from CNBC also. And the headline says, Disney CEO Bob Iger says companies' movies have been too focused on messaging. Disney chief executive officer Bob Iger said Wednesday he will no longer tolerate his company's partners and creative team prioritizing messaging over storytelling. Creators lost sight of what their number one objective needed to be, Iger said at the Deal Book Summit in New York on Wednesday. We have to entertain first. It's not about messages. Iger recently pushed to improve the quality of Disney films in 2024 and beyond. He is cutting back the number of movies Disney makes to focus on making better films. Earlier this week, he told Disney employees at a town hall that creating hit movies is the best way the company can change perceptions for investors and employees. So it looks like Bob Iger is finally getting it. And I think other Wall Street executives are also getting it also. Equity doesn't work in corporate America. DEI doesn't work in corporate America. The bottom line works. And if you're going to tick off your base customer, that's not what CEOs should be doing. So with that said, thank you so much for listening. You have a good week, and I will talk to you next Saturday.